Well, good morning. We are learning together how to grow in faith. It, it, I would think everyone in this audience would probably say, you know, I wish I was more faithful. Or I, I certainly need to grow in my faith. Now, we might share that same heartbeat, but how we get there may be completely different, or even outside of how God desires it to be. You see, I remember when I first became a Christian, and, and I thought, man, I just need to be a person of faith, a man of faith, and I need to be more faithful. And, and I would try harder and harder and harder, and I would burn out, and I would give out, and I would fall out, and I'd struggle in my faith. And I would think, well, man, I'm so weak in my faith. What's the issue? Well, the challenge is I was trying to grow my faith rather than letting God do all the work. The Bible says in Philippians 1.6 that God who began a good work in us, gave us that saving faith, is the one who perfects it or completes it. You see, growing in faith is not me being more faithful, it's simply me submitting to his faithfulness. It's growing in that understanding of who my God is and what God wants to do in my life. Before we dig into more about what it means to grow in faith, I want to remind you of a couple things that are coming up that you'll hear about again at the end of the service, but we are getting ready for an after Easter event. We know that more people will attend church on Easter than any other time of the year. This year we'll be outdoors again, out by the annex. We're going to be doing lawn chair Easter as well as we did as last year, so start spreading that word. Then the week after Easter, we're bringing in a couple who's been here before called Barnes and Minor. A lot of you have been praying for your one, someone that you're praying for, these ping pong balls that are still out there in the hallway that represent those that still need the Lord. We're praying for them to come to know Christ. And sometimes it's just unique bait that we need to go fishing with, and this is one of those opportunities. A comedy dinner theater where you can come and invite somebody. You can buy them a ticket. It's $15 a person. Uh, we are having Ted's Escondido bring in the food. We thought that might help as well. So a little bit of Ted's and a whole lot of Barnes and Miner. It's going to be a great, great event. Tickets are on sale now online. Next week they'll be on sale out in the lobby or the hub, but you're going to want to get your tickets quick because it will sell out very, very fast. And then next Wednesday, as we're coming back from spring break, we're launching a new opportunity for adults. Still, our children and youth will be doing the same things, but for adults, instead of gathering in here after the meal, at 6 o'clock, we have six different classes. You can take a look at them online or you can go back to the table. It'll give you a little bit of an idea of those six classes. Pick the one that's right for you, and you can grow in your faith together with other believers midweek on Wednesdays at 6 o'clock. I invite you to be back for that. Well, let's dig in on what it means to let God make us useful for his purposes. As I said earlier, faith is faith in his faithfulness. Faith isn't something we manufacture. It's not something we muster up being more faithful no, it's actually growing in the understanding of who God is and letting God's faithfulness become more real in our life than it's ever been. Can you trust in the faithfulness of God or do you struggle that God is there for you or that God is? That's a struggle for all of us in this space. We're using the example of a guy named Elijah out of Scripture. Now, when you think of Elijah, you may just think of some old man, some old prophet from the Old Testament, but his story is powerful. His story is very similar to you and to me. As we saw last week, he's just an ordinary guy that came out of nowhere, came out of a little old rural community, just like I did, just like many in this room. How many of you grew up in a little old small town of Oklahoma? O Okie's in the room. How many of you grew up in Oklahoma in a small little town? Wow, not as many. How many of you grew up south of the border? Okay, we're praying for you right now. Let's just pray for them as we, no, I'm teasing. 
little border war there. Uh, so how many of you grew up in a big city? How many of you grew up in a big city? Some of you here probably even in Oklahoma City. Well, Elijah didn't have all the luxuries and privileges of growing up in Jerusalem, growing up in the capital, growing up where there were a lot of things going on. He grew up in Tishba. Nobody grows up in Tishba except Elijah. And yet God would reach down out of heaven. He would take this man named uh, Elijah and would raise him up for his purposes. And so as we look into his life, we realize it, it isn't the resume that we have. It isn't who we are or where we come from that matters. What matters is not our faith, but his faithfulness. And Elijah is time and time again going to submit to the faithfulness of God, and he's going to make a difference in his generation. And I pointed out last week throughout all human history, even to the ends of time. So what is it we can learn from this guy named Elijah? Well, we left off last week. Elijah got called by God to have a ministry in the palace. Now, how cool is that? How many of you would sign up for a White House ministry today, man, to go minister to the president every day, speak truth into his life, and hang out at the White House, right? That'd be a pretty cool high calling. And so Elijah goes from living in the mountains to now living at the palace and confronting the king. What happens next? Well, you would figure out that uh, as he has success in that moment, he's honored God. He's got to plant a ministry there in the palace, right? That's God's call in his life, to minister to the king. And boy, did the king need ministry. But that's not what God's going to do. Go to 1 Kings 17. Let's see the rest of the story. What we're going to do is we're going to watch God take this redneck and turn him into somebody who represents the glory of God. Let's see how he does it. Verse 1. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives... Before whom I stand, surely there will be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. We saw that this was a pronouncement that the prophet of God was bringing on behalf of God to confront the false god of Ahab. That god was Baal. Baal was the one that all of Israel had adopted from other countries. It was brought in by Jezebel. And were now praying to for their rain, their crops, their harvest, because he was the god of fertility. So God is going to prove to them that they are worshiping a dead God, a false God, one that was created by the hands and minds of man, but was not a true God. So there's a famine coming. There will be no rain because Baal cannot answer their prayers. Verse 2, so the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, go away from here, turn eastward, hide yourself by the brook Kirith, which is east of the Jordan. Did you see what happens next? God doesn't let Elijah get comfortable in the palace God continues to call Elijah to make a difference but now he's taking him to a place called Kirith how did he know that how did he know where he was supposed to be the next day look at verse 2 again the word of the Lord came to Elijah what I learned from this is that Elijah while he wasn't perfect I think sometimes when we look at scripture we see guys like Elijah and we see guys like David or Moses or Noah or Peter or Paul and we think, well, these guys are superheroes, and I'm just an ordinary person. No, they were just as ordinary as we are. They had the same struggles with life and the flesh that we have as well. And we're going to see the same thing in Elijah, that while he wasn't perfect, he wasn't a super saint. But here's the difference between Elijah and a lot of people on this planet. Elijah was listening to the voice of God. He wasn't listening to the king in his edicts. He wasn't listening to the culture and what the culture said was the right way to go. He had an ear to hear the voice of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Elijah, and the Lord guided Elijah. Now, it's very interesting. 
I think sometimes we're listening to God as long as we hear what we want to hear. But when the message is contrary to what we want to hear from God, we have a tendency to tune him down or even tune him out. Not Elijah. You see, when Elijah was there in the middle of this great moment, can you imagine what that was like? Little redneck dude that had a very small community that nobody even knew where he was from. A handful of people probably growing up in that little town of Tishba. And all of a sudden, he's large and in charge in the palace talking smack to the king. That's pretty prime time. Can you imagine having access to the White House? Walking into the Oval Office every day and saying, Hey, Mr. President, have I got a word for you today? That's crazy. That doesn't even make sense. And if you're not careful, when God is at work in your life, you can get so caught up in what that work is, you forget about what really matters, and that's your walk with God. Elijah has this great palace ministry. What a cool thing. Nobody from his town has ever had that kind of calling. Nobody from his town has ever had audience with the king. And then the voice of the Lord says to Elijah, Elijah, here's the next phase of your ministry. I want you to leave the palace. Whoa, 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 God, God, whoa, hang on. Remember what we do with God? We try to convince him that we know better. Can't you see Elijah counseling God and saying, God, I'm here with the most wicked king our nation's ever. He needs a godly man in his life. He needs somebody to disciple him. This guy is out of control. He's ruining our nation, and I've got to save this guy. Can you imagine Elijah convincing himself to stay in the palace? But God says, no, I want you to go eastward. I want you to go to a place called Kirith. Anybody ever been to Kirith? God's about to take you there. Kirith may not sound like much to you, but to Elijah, he knew exactly where he was going. You see, in the Hebrew language, they would name their cities, they would name regions, they would name their children. All of them would take on names of meaning, of significance. Remember, we studied Jabez. His mom called him Jabez because he had caused her great pain at birth. That's what Jabez means, pain. Well, Kirith, you know what Kirith means? You know where God's about to take him? God's about to take him to a mountain. It's a mountainous region. It was a rough, rugged region. But he isn't going to give him a mountaintop experience. Actually, on this mountain where Kirith is, I'll show you on the map in a moment, he's actually taking him into a valley, a tough spot. Because Kirith means this. It means to be cut down or to be cut off. It's a picture of brokenness. It's a picture of lowliness. It's a picture of humility. You see, Elijah, while he wasn't a perfect man, and while he was honoring God, he's starting to get a little bit too much Elijah in the equation. How do I know that? Look at verse 1 again. Here he is talking to the king. He's delivering God's message, and yet he tacks on a little piece of Elijah at the very end. Do you see it? Hey, king, know this. God has said it's not going to rain for all these days until my word. Oh, Elijah? You're the one that controls the elements? You're the one that controls the rain? I don't think so. But all of a sudden, Elijah, I think, is getting a little caught up in being the man, being large and in charge, and confronting this evil king. I think God had a work to do in his life, just like he has to do in my life, and just like he needs to do in every person's life in this room. I asked you if you've ever been to Kirith. If you haven't been, I promise you, God will take you there. Because you see, your faith cannot grow until you've been to Kirith. Elijah couldn't be what he needed to be in the next phase of ministry or in his walk with God until he first went to this place called Kirith. Look at the map up here on the screen. Over here on the right-hand side, we see Tishba, where he grew up. You can see that's a mountainous region there of Tishba, very rugged, very rough. 
God calls him over to Samaria, where Ahab is king and ruling there in Samaria. And he did that obediently. He went to the palace. He wasn't prepared. He hadn't been to seminary. He wasn't equipped, but he was called. So he honored the voice of God. He makes his way all the way to the palace. He does what he's supposed to do. He's still got a lot to learn. And so God takes him next to this place called Kirith, the brook of Kirith. It was just north of where he grew up. It was a place where he could hide out, and that was God's design, to give him that next step of growing in his faith, what we would call spiritual boot camp. Now, when I mention the word boot camp, how many of you have ever thought, you know what, I believe that's God's will for my life. I'm, I'm going, I, I want boot camp. Anybody want boot camp? I don't think so. Because when we go to boot camp, it is a time of cutting us down. It's a time of breaking us down. Who wants that? Who needs Sergeant Payne or whatever his name was in our life? Am I right? We don't want that. Now, we want the glory of winning the battles. We want the victories. But we're not willing to let boot camp happen to prepare us for victory. Elijah needed to go to boot camp. Kirith is where he's going to get that boot camp. It's where God is going to remind him, yeah, Elijah, thank you for surrendering to my will, but it ain't about you, Elijah. It ain't about you. And so God takes him here to this brook, and I want to show you the value of Kirith. You have your Bibles. Hold your place in 1 Kings because we'll be back. Proverbs 22, verse 4 is a powerful verse, and it talks about the reward of humility. Did you know there's a reward to humility, to being humble? When we are humbled, it's a reminder that we are here and God is there. We don't reverse it. It isn't about us. It's about him. And the Bible says when you get there, when you can learn that lesson of humility, look at this. The reward of that is this. That when you come to that point of humility and the fear of the Lord, there are riches and honor and life. This isn't talking about physical wealth. It's talking about the value of life. It's talking about finding what really matters, the value of those things, the riches of knowing God's will and God's design. Living in the truth and experiencing that truth rather than living a lie. There is an uncommon reality among men and women whenever they're in a car on a journey together. Who knows how to get to the end destination? Is it the man or is it the woman? A lot of times it's neither, all right? Uh, they get lost in the journey, right? And as they are lost, who discovers the truth first? The man or the woman? Well, the man's always convinced he's going to get there. Just trust me. I'm going to get us there. We're there. The woman knows, no, we're lost, aren't we? We're lost. And the man will not confess to it, but both don't necessarily know how to get there. So the man pulls the car over and asks for directions. Can I get an amen from the men? No. Who asks for directions? She does. And who figures out the truth quicker? So, uh, listen to the ladies, all the ladies in the room. You're willing to ask for the directions. Am I right? Am I right? Can I get an amen from the ladies? Yeah, yeah. That was a real humble amen, wasn't it? There went the humility right there. They find the truth when they humble themselves and say, I need help. You see, we're so busy convincing God we got this. If we're not careful, we become so independent trying to prove to God we're being faithful that we miss out on the growth of our faith. Of acknowledging every day, God, I don't know what to do. 
Matter of fact, your word says the things that I want to do, the things I desire to do, the things that seem right to me, they only lead to destruction. So God, I'm not banking on this GPS. I need you to be my shepherd. That is humility and humbling ourselves before the Lord. Well, Elijah's going to have to learn that. Elijah's over here in the palace ministry. He starts to get a little puffed up. Hey, king, this is what God said. No, by the way, it ain't going to rain until I say so. As if Elijah's a big part of the equation. No, there's too much Elijah. And so God takes Elijah between every two mountaintops. There's what? The valley. A place of humility. A place of God humbling us. It is our spiritual boot camp. And yet, just like those who've signed up for the military, hey, man, I'll sign up for the Navy, I'll sign up for the Army, but I ain't signing up for boot camp. Well, guess what? You don't get to serve in the Army. You don't get to serve in the Navy until you've been through boot camp. There's too many people that signed up for salvation but have not signed up for serving the Lord. Too many people who are willing to say, Lord, I'll bet, let you be Lord of my life as long as I get to go to heaven, but you ain't going to be the master and commander of my journey. Wrong. That's why there is a weak faith. So why does God bring us to Kirith? Why do we need the boot camp? Well, because that's how God grows our faith. Go back to 1 Kings 17. And let me show you why Elijah needed Kirith, why we need Kirith. In verse 1, he's Elijah the Tishbite. In verse 24, now, that's only 24 verses later. It represents many, many years. We're going to study that over the next four or five weeks. But by the time you get 24 verses later, he's no longer Elijah the Tishbite. He's gone to Kirith. He's gone to all these other things that God has done to grow his faith. And now we read in verse 24, listen to this changed man. For the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. She didn't say, aren't you Elijah, that guy from Tishba? Aren't you Elijah, the prophet, the guy that confronted the king at the palace? She doesn't talk about what he's done or where he's from. You know what she saw when she knew Elijah at this point? She saw the glory and the power of God on his life. Elijah, I know you. You're a man of God. Before, he's just a guy from Tishba. After he goes through all these phases of letting God grow his faith, he becomes a man of God. Is your desire just to hang on long enough to get to heaven, or do you really desire to be a woman or a man of God? Does it even matter? Do you care about what direction your faith is heading? Or are you willing to just go stagnant in your faith? Well, if you want to grow in faith, follow the steps of Elijah. Go back to 1 Kings 17, verse 3. So God said to Elijah, go away from here, turn eastward, hide yourself by the brook Kirith, which is east of the Jordan. And it shall be that you will drink of the brook that I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went, he did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and he lived by the brook Kirith, which is east of the Jordan. Let me show you some things that made a difference in Elijah's faith that can make a difference in your faith. It isn't just the issue that God called him to Kirith. It's what went on in his faith and in his heart. very first thing I want you to see in verse 5 is it says, He went and did according to the word of the Lord. He simply honored what God said. He knew what God said, and he honored what God said. For many in the church today, they don't even care what God has said. They just know God has said you've got to have Jesus be saved, and that's all they listen to. And they don't look at the rest of the story. They don't look at the rest of God's word and let God speak to them on a daily basis, and they wonder why their faith is weak. 
Elijah was listening to the Lord, and as he heard from the Lord, he lived according to the word of the Lord. He was a guy that understood the issue of obedience, immediate obedience. I've told you before, if you have children and they've got chores, uh, I hope you're still giving them that kind of responsibility. And they say, okay, I know it's my duty to take out the trash. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it in four weeks. Is that doing the chore? No. Delayed obedience is disobedience. It is something that must be done in the moment. And that is true of our faith. We can't just sit back and pray about it, although there are several things we pray for. There are some things we don't have to pray because God has already spoken. God has told us, go here. He doesn't say, okay, let me take the next 40 days to fast and pray about it. No. He went where God told him to go. The second thing I want you to see is not only was he obedient, but he was honoring God in his obedience. He didn't go like I do sometimes when my parents would go tell me to do something. I'd go pouting and stomping and kicking and throwing. No, he went to Kirith willingly, knowing it wasn't going to be easy, knowing he'd rather be in the palace anybody would be. All the luxuries and all the provisions were at the palace. He's going to a place of isolation where there's no one to hang out. There's no internet. There's no Facebook. There's no Snapchat. There's no cell phone. There's no screen. There's no Walmart. There's no Amazon. There's no video games. There's just Kirith. Who wants the palace? Who wants Kirith? But the Bible says, look at how it says, Elijah did according to the word of the Lord. He went... And he lived by the brook. If you look up that word live, it means he dwelled there. He set up shop. He didn't know how long he was going to be there. Most of us would say, okay, God, I'll go to Kirith, but you've got 24 hours, and then you better turn me back to the palace. He didn't know how long he was going to be there, but he knew God called him there. You may not like going to school, but guess what? God's called you there. Use it as your ministry. Live there. Dwell there. Be a student that makes a difference on your campus. Get engaged. Don't just process time. Get there. You may not like your job, mom or dad, but maybe that's where God has planted you to be a witness for his glory. Maybe you've got a boss that you probably think belongs and is the offspring of Satan himself. I understand. Well, no, I don't. I mean, I'm not saying I do now, but I'm saying I get that that happens for some people. But that may be the exact place God wants you for a season. You may not like the Kirith that God has brought or allowed into your life, but I promise you, if you will live there, if you will trust God in it, he'll work even what looks like a bad thing to be a glorious thing. It's faith growing in his faithfulness. But also the third thing I want you to see is Elijah trusted the sovereignty of God. That's why he could dwell there. He understood it doesn't matter if I'm in the palace or if I'm over here at Kirith, God is still my God, and I'm going to honor him. I'm not in it for what it is for me. I'm going to serve God over there and over here. But God was his shepherd, and God was leading him. And he had full trust in God's faithfulness. Philippians chapter 4, we've looked at it before. You don't have to turn there. But Philippians 4.13, everybody loves to claim for. Uh, chapter 4 verse 13 everybody loves I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and we'll claim that for everything that will get us a promotion everything that will get us an A on the test everything that will get us a date for the prom everything that will get us anything that makes us better but not about bitter things and the context of verse 13 goes back to verse 11 where Paul said this he said I had to learn you know Paul who does most of the teaching and a lot of the New Testament have lessons to learn as well. 
It's not something that just comes to us naturally. He said, I had to learn. What did Paul have to learn? He said, I had to learn the secret of contentment. Finding that I could dwell whether I'm in the palace or whether I'm in Kirith. Whether I get the promotion at work or whether I get overlooked at work. Whether I'm everybody's best friend or whether I get rejected by somebody I really wanted to spend time with. He said, I had to learn that no matter my circumstances, and that's how I learned it. You know what the taskmaster is? You know who teaches the lesson? Circumstances. He said, I had to learn in my circumstances how to be content. What I love about Elijah is Elijah and a little bitty baby saying, oh man, I was faithful in the palace. Why can't I stay here? He says, okay, you taking me to Kirith? Ah, that's going to be tough. Sure liked it back there in the palace, but Lord, if this is where you want me to be, this is where I'm going to live. I'm not going to whine. I'm not going to cry. I'm going to learn. I'm going to let you grow my faith, Lord. You know how long he was at Kirith? He was a few days at the palace. You know how long he was at Kirith? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. But his faith was growing. Verse 6. 1 Kings 17, verse 6. So the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. Bread and meat in the evening. High protein, high carbs. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, man. A balanced diet. That's a good thing. He didn't bring him broccoli or cauliflower. Thank you, Jesus. Can you honor Jesus now? Woo! Verse 7. I'm sure he got some other things in there. It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Elijah's existence at Kirith, he couldn't rely on fast food restaurants. He couldn't rely on mama's cooking. He couldn't rely on the chefs of the palace who were the best cooks in the land. He couldn't rely on a grocery store. He had to rely on God providing through ravens. Can you imagine? And yet every day he trusted God to provide for him every single day as he lived in Kirith. And over those three and a half years, God was doing a work of developing Elijah into his image. Doing a work that James speaks of, you've probably memorized the verse, Turn to James as we close. James chapter 1 and verse 2. James says it this way. The purpose of Kirith, boot camp. And he says, for every boot camp, count it all joy. He didn't say be happy. He didn't sing that song. Because that isn't a happy place. But it can still be a joyful place. He said, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That would be the same thing as the word kirith represents in the Hebrew, going through various humbling circumstances. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Why do we need endurance? Because if we don't, our faith won't be strong, and when we are weak, that's when we cave. God is growing our faith. He does it through circumstances, through kiriths. Verse 4, let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's so many people in the church today that are lacking. They're lacking joy. They're lacking trust. They're lacking faith. They're lacking humility. Now they got Jesus all day long for salvation, but not the fruit of the Spirit. Realizing it isn't about me, but it is about Him. And so we need boot camp. We need Kirith. We need times that challenge us, that stretch us, that cut us down to the 
to, to the reality of who we really are, that we are nothing and he is everything. There's John the Baptist, who was one of the most famous people of his generation. Everybody knew about John the Baptist. He was that guy wearing the crazy fur, eating locusts and honey outside the city limits. And everybody was going out to, to be baptized by John the Baptist. Matter of fact, some thought he might be the prophesied one, the one who was coming, because this guy was so spectacular and everybody was flocking out and maybe this is the one we've been waiting for. He had all this going on in huge crowds and man, he was being used powerfully. And he had his moment of cure. Jesus is baptized. He launches his earthly ministry. And all the crowds left John and started following Jesus, the miracle worker. And John's disciples, they come up to him. They have a, a ministry board meeting. John, we were pleased with you all these months. God's favor was on you, but you must be in sin or something because we don't have crowds anymore, and they're all following this guy, Jesus. I'm sure it would have been easy for John to say, I'm the man in town. This is my territory. Jesus, you go north or you go with it. This is my town. But you remember what John the Baptist said to his disciples? He must increase and I must decrease. Guys, it's never been about me. It's never been about our ministry. We've been preparing the way for the Lord. And he had to go through Kirith. He had to fight off his flesh. He had to fight off his ego. And he had to submit to God growing his faith. So should we. And maybe you're going through a tough time. Maybe you're going through a, a, a period of trials or challenges or difficult circumstances. You can get bitter or your faith can get better. You can get stronger or you can let the enemy crush you. But if you will be content at Kirith, just like you would be in the palace, God can do a special work in your life. It's called endurance. One Bible scholar said, this word for endurance means a Christ-empowered endurance, which enables us to get from God's point A to God's point B. A power to do what we don't want to do. Let me prove it to you. If we were going to offer a mission trip to some crazy jungle somewhere with an unreached people group that eat people for their diet, all right? That's, that's the kind of world where they don't eat groceries like you do, they eat you. How many people are signing up for that trip? On the other hand, we have a second mission trip, and we feel called to invest in the lostness of Hawaii. How many people are signing up for that trip? How easy it is to sign up for God's will when it's a palace, but not when it's Kirith. How easy it is to love God over here and miss God over here. God, get me out of this Kirith. You never hear Elijah praying out of Kirith. The Bible says he lived here. As long as God told him to stay, he was planted there. Would he rather be over there? Probably. Would he rather be home with his buddies in Tishba? Probably. But he lived in Kirith. And God did a fresh work in Elijah's life. Will you let God do that in your life? Let me tell you how important it is. In the scriptures it says, Psalm 34, 18, the Lord draws near not to the mighty prophets, not to the mighty ones who stand up for God gloriously, 
God draws near to the broken hearted. Those that live at Kirith. Those that say, God, this is tough, but I love you with all my heart. God, I don't need a palace to be excited about you. I'm going to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength right where you put me. God will take you to Kirith if you let him. Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. We're learning about faith. Not how you can be more faithful, but how God can grow your faith. How you can wake up tomorrow more in tune with God's faithfulness than you were today. But you got to go to Kirith. But I tell you, you can't go to Kirith until you go to Calvary. Until you've been to the cross and still, and, 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 until you come to that place where you understand Christ died, not just on a cross, but Christ died for me. Until you've been humbled to that point, until God has broken you to the point of showing you your sin and how that separates you from his holiness, you cannot experience the blessing of God. So have you been to Calvary? What does that mean? Has there been a time in your life where you said, Lord, I understand I'm a sinner. Lord, my sin would separate me from your holiness. That's what makes you God. And Lord, I humble myself. I declare my need to be saved. Have you ever done that? Has there ever been a time when you said, God, save me? If God has, if there's been that time, that was your cure at Calvary, thank Jesus for saving you right now. I say, God, thank you for that. If you haven't today, I would say, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I'm lost. I'm lost. Lord, help me. And he'll save you. You can come to one of our ministers and say, I need to be saved. They'll pray with you right here at the front like we have with many others. Just like Deanna, who we prayed with a little while ago, who now is taking that step of faith. Maybe there's somebody you need. You've been saved, but you need to be baptized. Or maybe you just need a church family. That's what this invitation is for. Our ministers will be standing here. Come to one of them and say, I need to do this. Tell them what God's doing. If the Lord has spoken, you do what Elijah did. Obey the word of the Lord. Father, that is our prayer now. So we submit to your word, to your voice. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.